I was in a coma for six weeks while the doctors told my wife I was going to die. When I woke up, she told me the most fantastic story. My team kept running the business without me. Freelancers reached out to my team and said, we will do whatever it takes as long as Craig's in the hospital. I consider that the greatest accomplishment in my career. My name is Craig Andrews, and this is the Leaders and Legacies podcast, where we talk to leaders creating an impact beyond themselves. At the end of today's interview, I'll tell you how you can be the next leader featured on this show. Okay, today I want to welcome Moeed Amin. He has a background in neuroscience, uh, psychology, and sales, and he uses it to bring a unique approach to help sellers dramatically improve their results using the science of persuasion. And it is indeed a science. This has helped them build over 200 million pounds. That's That would be what they spend in the UK as opposed to the United States. 200 million pounds in additional revenue and funding for his clientele by helping sellers gain trust, accelerate deals, and increase order values. Some of the companies he's worked for have been CEB, Informa, Gartner, Ovum, Data Monitor, and he's had various uh, uh, leadership roles and advisory roles in tech-based startups. He's also turned around declining businesses to get a year-on-year growth of over 40%. It's amazing. And uh, has been selling to C-level executives and multi-billion dollar organizations across 10 different industries. So today we're welcoming Moeed. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Craig. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. So rumor has it that a neuroscience textbook fell and hit you in the head and you sort of had a Sir Isaac Newton moment. Yeah. How did you hear about that? So, so um, yeah, I mean, my first professional sales job, um, and when I say professional, I mean B2B, um, you know, I, I, I resigned before I was about to get fired, even though I helped close a, um, a very large, just over a million pound contract. Um, and then when uh, I was headhunted into a new role, I, I was just getting into my stride and then the financial the financial crash hit and so it was a pretty challenging time you know it, it's a it's a situation where you kind of question everything um and it's pretty tough i decided to not take a step back but just take the weekend and think you know what i'm just going to just going to let my mind roam and i decided to clean up my uh bookshelf and had a couple in the house um and uh, yeah, while I was cleaning it, one of the one of the neuroscience textbooks that I had at university fell on my head. And, um, and when I looked at it, I just thought, that's what I've been doing wrong. Um, all the training and the perspective that, that I've had on sales was all from the sales or the supplier's perspective. There was not one one ounce of training about the buyer's perspective. 
Um, and and any time there was any training about understanding the buyers, it was always through the prism of the seller's point of view, not the buyer's point of view. And so I realized that's that's what I've been doing wrong. Um, I really need to look at the buyer's perspective. And I had so much access to knowledge um, and, and an experience, at least at an academic level, about what that would look like and how to deconstruct it. And so, yeah, I, uh, that that started me on a journey in sales where I became a high performer for, for the next 15 or so odd years, 18 years. So, you know yeah, what that was... And what you're saying, I mean, when you say it, it's so obvious, we should think about things from the customer's perspective, but that seems easier said than done. And, and you know, so I, I, as I'm sure you encounter, I encounter so many companies that are very, very much focused on themselves, but now on the, on the buyer and convinced if I asked them if they were buyer focused, if they were customer focused, they would say absolutely yes. So as a neuroscientist, how does this happen? How do companies who believe they are customer focused end up being sort of ego uh, egocentric? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a there's a there's a theory called the uh, psychological egoism. Uh, and the theory basically says um every decision or action that we take is ultimately in our self-interest. Um even if we are being, you know, quote unquote altruistic uh, it is ultimately in our self-interest. There is a human need that we're trying to achieve. Um, and so the brain is very self-centered and it's incredibly hard to be truly empathetic. And, you know, we are wrapped in our own story every day from our perspective. I mean, if you think about it, the way we translate the world is completely different to, you know, anyone else. Even if someone, if you, even if you say, I have a friend or a spouse or someone who's very similar to me and sees the world in the same way it's not true it's not it's not the same way there is a difference and so if you are constantly viewing the world through your lens it is not surprising that you'll get wrapped up in your own story and so the brain is really designed to to do that it's designed to be selfish because ultimately i need to make sure that this body survives and that's my primary objective um and understanding the perspective of someone else isn't it doesn't make the top list of um, helping us survive. And so it's natural for that to happen. Um, you know, and you'll have your trials and tribulations and, and also the good things in the day. Um, but they're not trials and tribulations or good things for others. They're trials and tribulations and good things for you. Um, and so taking that step back into understanding the bio or the other person like really understanding it without having it come through your prism of, of your world and your translation of it it's, it's incredibly difficult so fundamentally the brain is really designed to be selfish yeah so if i'm hearing you correctly it's you're basically saying there's a spectrum you know this we are all selfish and um on one extreme of the spectrum, you have those that are almost irredeemably selfish. You know, and these are people that we probably want to distance ourselves from. But if you're breathing oxygen, you're probably somewhere on the selfish scale. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you human. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that, and that there's a spectrum and you're right, there is. Um, but here's, the, here's another way to look at it. 
if you don't take care of yourself, then how could you possibly, you know, uh, contribute to others in the best way possible? Um, and so there is a, a Maslow hierarchy of needs that has to be fulfilled in order. If you notice in Maslow's hierarchy need or spiral dynamics, you know, getting to levels five, six, and seven and eight, where you are contributing to the greater good, you can't do that until you're selfish and actually uh, and actually contribute to yourself, right? And build yourself up. So there are layers to this. Now, true, um, if you get to the stage where you have looked after yourself, right? And you've got everything that you need and you still don't contribute. Okay, that's something else. I'm not here to judge, right? That's that's something else. But there is an element of self selfless, selfishness that has to be that has to be achieved and ha- so it has to be there in order for you to even start to contribute to others in a meaningful way there's no point contributing to others and giving your time and resources to others if you're starving right and, and if you're struggling to make ends meet uh, you won't show up in the best way possible for those for those other people um, and so there, there is a um, there is some credence to it and that is important to understand you know, and as, as you were telling this story, it's, I, I don't know how much you know about my history, but, you know, two years ago I was in, in the hospital mm-hmm. and I wrestled with the very thing that you're talking about. Well, I didn't wrestle with it much, to be honest. The, I mean, I was, my body completely atrophied and literally I could not scratch my own butt if I wanted to. And so when my wife would come and spend time at the hospital, that was just the highlight of my day. And I watched her exhausting herself, but it wasn't for several weeks later when I was a little bit stronger, when I said, hey, why don't you, why don't you sleep in this morning? You know, and so in that moment, I was very selfish with her time, but it ties into what you're talking about. I needed her to get stronger so that I would have the capability to give back to her. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so I'm aware of I know that I know your story there um because you've honestly shared it and i think i'm on i'm i'm, I'm on your newsletter so i do receive oh. those stories um yeah question if you saw that she was the say say she's still coming to you but you are not strong enough or ready enough for her to stop coming to you however you notice one day that she was on the verge of collapse would you still want her to come or would you or would you make the decision to say okay even though i desperately still need you um you know don't come for the next two days or or something like that until until you're better would you have made that decision um i did and then i immediately reversed it so i was in three hospitals the third and final hospital was a rehab hospital and I, I arrived on Friday night and uh, Saturday night when she left, I said, you know, uh, her kids uh, were coming in. And I said, why don't you just take the morning, spend time with them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, come and then go to church, come visit me after church. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, thank you. That would be so great. And the uh, at this point, I had the strength to scratch my butt, but just barely. And that morning you know, new staff, I'm a new patient. They sit me up in bed for breakfast, which I'm I'm begging them not to because 
I would slide to the end of the bed. They had these slick mattress. Uh, the you know, the mat it was an inflatable mattress to avoid uh, bed sores, mm-hmm. and I spent forty five minutes crumpled up at the end of the bed, uh, shaped like a pretzel, because I didn't have the strength to pull myself back up, and I kept hitting the nurse call button, and couldn't get them to show up, and as soon as somebody finally did, I you know I called or maybe even before then, you know I called my wife and I said hey I know. I suggested that, you know, you, you stay home. I need you. I really need you. And it's hard to imagine, you know, when, you know, until you're in that, that situation where you don't have the strength to straighten yourself out, out in bed and you feel like you're just on a landslide heading down to the, the foot footer of the bed and you don't have any more of your body that you can crumble uh, to give way. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and <clears throat> this is a topic that's probably a different direction and too too deep for some of the things that I generally do in round sales. But um, there was, you know, there's there's also a yin and a yin and yang, right? So on the selfish side, there's also an element of selflessness that sits within being selfish, right? If I am, if I don't give my wife that break, for example then she's not going to be able to, this is why it's a theory of psychological egoism, because there are certain elements of this that's very hard to prove. Um, But we kind of know it's there, right? And it's almost not undisputable, but it's almost almost very difficult to dispute, but it's also very hard to prove. And so I'm not gonna say that's, that's how you were thinking. I'm just giving examples here. There's something to be said where you will say, well, if she's not in a good state and if she gets run down, then then that doesn't help her, it doesn't help our kids, but it also doesn't help me at the end of the day. And so there's an element, there's that little black dot within the white circle, if that makes sense, or the white mm-hmm. half, and consequently on the other side as well. I think what's, however, and this is where this is where the dichotomy is, that's really interesting. So if any of your listeners or, or listeners of an audience have read, um, you know, how to make friends and influence people. What's interesting is that the people who are exceptional at influencing have this ability to understand that yin and yang, but also to have an understanding that there is a small dot of the opposite within each each side. In order for you to make friends and influence people, um, you have to be almost totally selfless and empathetic in terms of placing yourself in that person's shoes. But what's interesting is that they like you, not because you're being empathetic, right? Empathetic is just the path towards the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that we feel understood. We feel heard. And there are two portions of the brain that are involved in that. Uh, There's the ventral striatum and there's the um, middle insula. And, And interestingly enough, those are reward centers in the brain. So they're anticipatory reward centers in the brain. So your brain starts the dopamine process and releases dopamine in anticipation of a good thing. You don't even have to do the good thing. And so we, and being understood is almost like this, it's just this amazing feeling. And so there are two portions of the brain that are involved in that self, right? Um, Well, at least those two small portions, there's a whole region that's involved in self as well. But um, we love being understood and heard. And so influence is, 
it's, it's interesting because you have to be completely selfless. But the reason why is because that person yearns to be understood. That person yearns for the self to be recognized. And that's why significance is one of the most powerful of the six human needs. Um, it's it's uh, akin to ego, although there's a spectrum, but it's that it's that element of being recognized, that element of being noticed, uh, that ego, that self. And so um, the opposite to that is registered by the anterior insula. And it's not inconvenience. It, it's not annoyance. It's, it's registered biochemically as disgust, which is a hugely strong emotion. Um, and you may not realize it, but that's what biochemically is happening. And so when you are approached by a salesperson or approached by anyone and all they talk about is themselves, you feel disgust because you don't feel recognized. You don't feel heard. You don't feel understood. Um, and so I liken it to that yin and yang. There's an element of both sides in each. Um, and so it's that, it's that balance between the two that you need to really understand and appreciate if you're going to influence or persuade anyone. So there's an expression I've heard that I think taps into exactly what you said. And tell me if this matches. Uh, the expression goes, whoever talks the less, the least wins. Yeah. And maybe that's not an expression you're familiar with, but I've heard it in the it context is, of sales. It is. Um, I try not to... I try not to put it into absolute, and, and I, I would put that as a guiding principle, not necessarily rule. There are times when you're going to need to talk more because the person's expecting it, right? And if you're talking about things that are technical uh, and if it's important to them, they want a detailed explanation from you. Um, however, it's, it's the, you know, if it's a monologue, that's a problem. It's engagement, it's interaction. You know, even saying something as simple as, you know, are you, are you following this so far? Any questions related to that? Uh, even if they don't have a question, that element of saying, hey, I understand you. And there might be something here that you don't understand, but I just want to check. I want to recognize you here. I want to recognize where you're coming from. That's what that's involved. But yes, as a guiding principle, whoever talks less, Yes, but you, may, you need to make sure you ask the right questions. Um, and yeah. so, uh, you know, that's an important part. Yeah, but, but it's a good principle. It's absolutely a good principle because salespeople talk way too much. Yeah. And something you said, if I heard you correctly, is when you make somebody, if you're a salesperson and you make your prospect feel understood, it releases dopamine. That's the feel-good hormone. It releases dopamine in the body. Is that correct? So it releases dopamine in the body. Um, dopamine is a feel-good, but it's not its primary purpose. So there is a misconception about what dopamine really is. Ooh. Dopamine is the neuromodulator for motivation, not just feel-good. That's its primary purpose. So, if, um, so there are things called... Um, uh, so there is, uh, oh gosh, the name's going to, for some reason, my, main, my, my brain's blanking on this one. Um, prediction error. So there's positive prediction error, there's negative prediction error. So if I take this action and I expect it to be a certain way and it ends up being better, there's a positive prediction error. I predicted it to be this level, 
it's actually better, more dopamine is released. And so the more dopamine is released, the more it will motivate me to take that action again. Okay. And so, yeah, feeling understood, yeah, it releases dopamine. I want to speak with that person more. I'm more likely going to go to that person again. Um, so it's hugely important, hugely important. Well, and one of the things that we talk about, you know, in this podcast is leadership. And, you know, I can't imagine anything much better than, you know, leading in a way that causes the release of dopamine in people. That That's the core of motivation based on what you're saying. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because you have to be careful around, you know, there are many things that can release dopamine including things that actually can harm you in the end. Yeah. Um, and so the, the curious thing about the, the body and the brain is that um, you're almost rewarded heavily for short-term things that feel good in the short-term, but end up being bad for you in the long-term. Uh, and, and, and it doesn't feel as if you're being rewarded enough for um, things that are short-term discomfort, but long-term huge amounts of gain. Um, let's use this, let's use, you know, video gaming, for example, right? Video gaming, short term feels great to the body, um, or at least to the mind. Long term, really not good for you. Um, but going to the gym and exercising, short term, not so great, right? There's an endorphin rush, don't get me wrong. Um, but long term, hugely beneficial. And in leading is the same thing. It's, it's sometimes there will be some short term discomfort. Um, and it's your job as a leader to create that vision, that clarity, that understanding, that buy-in that, um, you know, for the long term, you're going to see some progress. And so there's important elements there that um, that the recipient needs to understand. It's the submodalities, right? It's the it's the visual, the auditory, the kinesthetic. You know, what? how are you, how are you demonstrating to that person that there is, that these actions are important? There may be discomfort but they are really important and the clearer uh, and, and the more vivid you make that. Um, and also the more that you get that person to buy into it and believe it, you know, the better chance you have. One of the things about pursuing a goal, there are four areas in the brain that are involved in the pursuit of a goal or pursuit of an action. There are many areas, but, but four, four I mainly that's used there's the amygdala so what have i got to fear from this action that's the first thing that's the first gate then there's the basal ganglia which is you know go or no go then you've got the lateral prefrontal cortex which is basically how do i plan to do this over a period of time and then the final part is the orbitofrontal lobe and when people say you make emotional decisions and you justify it by logic it doesn't tell the full story emotions Emotions are the currency by which your brain evaluates life, mm -hmm. right? So emotions are the currency that your brain uses to evaluate life. And the orbitofrontal lobe, it has a couple of major functions, but one of them is, if I take this action, what is my emotional state now? And what will my emotional state be when I, when I achieve that goal or take that action? And if the difference is positive enough, then I will deem this to be an action worth pursuing. Not logic, right? Although logic is involved, I'm not saying it isn't. But what ultimately determines you to make that decision is the emotional difference. And that's where sales and business people fall short. 
they 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 dis they dismiss emotion in the process um whether it's leadership whether it's um you know selling whether it's working with a supplier or a partner or investors doesn't matter anytime we need to influence someone or persuade someone um most people discount the emotional element but that is the very element that the other person uses to evaluate whether it's a good action to take or not think about money the acquisition of money it's not the money itself that people pursue it's the feeling they get from having that money there is some form of connection to that and so it's the emotions that we use and and so in leadership is the same thing you're absolutely right it's dopamine but it's almost kind of making them realize well when you achieve that how are you going to feel is that going to make you feel better is that going to make you feel better because it's helping you achieve towards a goal why is that goal important how does that goal make you feel being able to buy your own home or to help your parents out whatever it might be it's about the human needs behind that it's about the feelings behind that um and yeah people dismiss that but it's like i said it's the currency by which you use to evaluate life mm. yeah and i and i like yeah i like the the detailed discussion or the understanding that you bring to this you know i think with the you know when the heart and the mind will follow or you know i think those are simplifications that people use you know when they don't grasp the intricacies of of what you're discussing mm. but it's you know i'm i'm fascinated by your depth of understanding of this it's um it, it it's really quite powerful it's very interesting you know how we go about this. So let me ask from a sales perspective, if if somebody's in sales, what does leadership look like in sales? Um, you know, there are there are other people that are far more qualified to talk about it than I am. Um let's think about it from the sales perspective, the seller's perspective. So the person on the front line. Um the seller has some wants and needs, and they also have some fears. And so the first thing that um, most sales, not most, first thing that a lot of sales leaders maybe don't consider, but for sure should consider is, what does this person desire? And what does this person fear? And why do they desire and fear those things? And how much of that is perception versus reality? So if this person, you know, fears being micromanaged, um, well, what's that person's definition of micromanagement? Um, what is it about it, about that level of management that they detest so much or hate so much or dislike? Um, how much of that is because they have this perception that micromanagement is bad? But it could be, but maybe they haven't been told the why. You know, why is that important? You know, Jocko Willings talks about about this in his book, Extreme Ownership and Leadership. Um, if you're going to ask me to do something, well, at least tell me the why. Why is it important that we do that? What's the story behind that? Um, CRM is one of, you know, admin, admin efforts in CRM is one of the most hated things in sales. Um, However, I feel that now there's a problem with a lot of the CRMs. They're designed for the leaders, not for the actual salespeople themselves. That's a whole different issue. Um, but if we if we were to put that aside, 
there are really important reasons why inputting information into the SCRM um, is so valuable. Uh, if you're going to go into a situation, right, whether it's a business meeting, you would never hear of a pilot. And the analogy I hear is, you know, you never hear of a pilot um, not looking through the logbooks, not looking at the weather forecast, you know, checks and balances, all the things that they have to do in order to be able to fly this plane safely from destination A to destination B, safely and comfortably. Um, it's it's similar in sales. You can't walk into a high stakes meeting without having all the knowledge that you need, right? And sometimes there's information that you, you know, knowledge that you have because you were the one that had the conversation. But if you don't capture it then and there, well, you're not going to remember all the detail afterwards, right? Um, sometimes that buyer may have had interactions with someone else in your team. So you kind of want to know what they said. You want to know what that experience is. You want to know what the perspectives were. Um, and so if, you know, I don't think leaders take the time to explain why putting that information is in CRM is important, not from the leader's perspective, but this is the, the, the um, empathy part I'm talking about. It's from your perspective, how it's going to help you do your job better, how it's going to help you earn more commission. And therefore, earning more commission means you get to buy that house, you get to start a family, you get to put your kids through private school, whatever it might be. And, and so that's, you know, it's the why that I think a lot of people are missing, right? I'm not, they seem to forget that they did that job, which is just the weirdest thing. I think a lot of leaders suffer from amnesia mm. um, and ego as well, actually, misplaced ego. So it's a, it, it's just like persuasion. What is the perspective of the person on the other side? What are they thinking? What are the fears? What are the what are the desires that they have? Um, where do those things come from? Why is that happening? How much of that is perception versus reality? The other one is clarity, right? So clarity is incredibly important, which is part of that. The other thing is confidence. If I, you know, if I don't exude confidence, even in a situation that's tough, it doesn't mean lying, right? It means hey, I'm not going to lie, this is a tough situation, but I'm confident in our ability to be able to get through. And here is the plan. And it's a well thought out plan. Um, you know, we want to feel that we can trust our leaders that will also have your back. Um, you know, I've had a situation where, you know, there was a problem at school, for example, that I had at school. Teacher accused me of something. I knew it was a lie and told my parents and my dad said, okay, are you sure this is what happened? I said, absolutely, dad, this is what happened and X, Y, and Z. And he said, okay, right, I'm going to go sort that out. And just having someone that has your back is a hugely important thing. Mm. And I think sales sales leaders, uh, I'm not saying they're, not, they're all like this. No, 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 but you hear some pretty bad stories where they don't have your back. Yeah. And... If you're going to go to battle for this person, then you've got to kind of give that two-way two-way street as well. Um, sales leader doesn't have to necessarily be exemplary at sales, right? And, and a lot of leaders think that they should be the, the best at sales. And they've got to go and then brainstorm deals and kind of figure out the idea and sometimes even lead the deal. But that's not necessarily what's required. What's required is to... It's, it's to provide the resources needed to help that person thrive. Um, and a lot of the times that resource may not be you. 
it could be having the political weight internally to connect the salesperson to the product leader that's required or the consultant that's required or whatever the resources are or the marketing, whatever the resources that's needed to help that salesperson thrive, you're that conduit. And, and being a coach doesn't mean you have to be able to um, do the job as well as they do. In fact, uh, the best coaches are not anywhere near as good technically um, as the people that they're coaching, but they're exceptional at asking the right questions and conducting the right activities to push them forward. And so there are there, those are some of the initial elements that, that, that come to mind for me. Um, and in a period where there's a high amount of pressure to perform, um, your ability as a leader to protect your sales team from from what Marcus Kalki says, acts of idiocy from above, is incredibly important. You, you are you are also the shield because and and it can be very lonely, but you kind of have to take the brunt of that that idiocy that's coming from from above you to protect your team and make sure that their interests are best being served in order for them to do the job. Um, that doesn't mean you hide things from them. There are some things that you have to make them aware of, but there are also a lot of things that you've just got to be courageous enough and, and willing enough to, to protect them from it. And so those are some of the examples. And I talk about tough times because right now it's very high pressure time. Salespeople and the sales profession, um, you know, this is one of the hardest times that a lot of them would have faced. Uh, the last time would have been the, the financial crisis of 2008. But there are a lot of salespeople that didn't really face that, at least professionally. Yeah, and, and I would say there's a lot of people that were maybe graduating university uh, mm. and missed that. And so this is, there's a lot of people, you know, we we had sort of an unprecedented length of a, a growing economy. Mm. And uh, I, I was expecting recession, you know, five, six years ago, and just looking at the calendar. And mm. so... You know, Moe, th these have just been amazing insights, and I, I, I admire your depth of understanding of the mechanisms that drive these things. Um, you know, and it's very clear we could we could talk for another hour and still not scratch the surface on the insights that you have to provide. So, um, how would how for somebody that wants to go a little bit deeper? How would they go about reaching you? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I put all my stuff out there for free. Um, and so there are several ways you can you can reach me. Number one, LinkedIn. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I put a ton of information out there every week on Fridays. I put out the formidable Friday newsletter. You can also join the email, the email um, newsletter group. Um, I have a I have two podcasts. Um, well, one podcast, but with two names, which is weird. There's the audio version, which is the Persuasion Lab. And I interview some of the best of the best in the world, not just in sales, but in in, in large um, uh, swathes of areas around business. So body language, human behavior, functional medicine, loads of things. Uh, so that's the Persuasion Lab. But you can also check out some of the videos on um, on YouTube, and that's the Proverbial Door, which is the name of the company. And on there... My business partner and I, Ted Wayman, have uh, analyzed the financial statements of 111 companies 
to help salespeople become more financially literate uh, and really kind of earn the respect of the buyers that they're engaging with, particularly C-level buyers. So you can get in contact with me in, in any of those mediums and, uh, and you know, happy to happy to answer people's questions and, and provide extra resources. But everything is really online and, and I'll constantly provide more during the weeks. Well, that's great. And I, I certainly encourage everybody to check that out. I, I know I will, you know, just in our brief conversation, I realize I have so much I can learn uh, from you. And so, Moeed, thank you for being on Leaders and Legacies. Thank you, Craig. And uh, thanks again for inviting me on. It was a really good conversation. Appreciate it. This is Craig Andrews. I want to thank you for listening to the Leaders and Legacies podcast. We're looking for leaders to share how they're making an impact beyond themselves. If that's you, please go to alliesforme.com slash guest and sign up there. If you got something out of this interview, we would love you to share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who would be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show, including the hashtag Leaders and Legacies. I love seeing your posts and suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss anything, please go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to my team. If you want to know more, please go to alliesforme.com or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.